good to see all of you here. Thank you, uh, Brother Jim. I was telling Brandon, I said, I have no idea what is going on right now. And then when he asked me to come up here, some of you said, uh-oh, and I was like, uh-oh, you know, so uh, it was kind of in surround sound. Uh, but uh, thank you, church family. I think we all can say the last two years have not been ordinary at all. And, uh, but let me say this, you have been an absolute pleasure to love and lead, especially in 2020, uh, where many pastors were leading their church and they were fighting two different fights. You would have the anti-COVID-19 people and the for COVID-19 people. What do you mean? That some pastors were dealing with congregations where they were split 50-50. Well, I'm not coming back until we wear masks. Well, I'm not coming back until we don't have to wear masks. Um, we didn't have to deal with that here. Uh, first off, you knew none of us like to have to wear the mask. Amen? Uh, you know what I call them. They're facial diapers or what they are. I mean, uh, I mean really, but... We did it because those who were in the medical field at the time told us wear them, and we did that. And, and we did that in order, whether they worked or don't work, and we're not going to get into the science of that now. We, we did it in order to be able to worship, to be safe, uh, to protect each other, uh, to love on each other. And, um, and as a church family, we, you just did what was asked. You maybe not understood everything, but you were very understanding and everything. And there's a world of difference between those two concepts. And so you have been an absolute pleasure to love and to lead. And I am very thankful that I get to call you my faith family. And so thank you so much, everybody. I, I just love each and every one of you so much. So if... If you would, take your copy of God's Word and open it up to 1 Peter chapter 2. Now we're back in 1 Peter, hope that lasts. We ended last Sunday in that little mini-series of I've almost seen it all. And when we see Jesus, we will have actually at that point seen it all. So now we're back in 1 Peter. 1 Peter, Peter is writing uh, to the church uh, there in what we would say modern-day Turkey to encourage them in the days in which they live. And... I think we all can say we need encouragement in the days in which we live. Uh, we, we really do live in a very downtrodden culture and society, and not only that, a time and an era. Um, we are bombarded 24-7 with news and updates and things. Things don't look good when we look at the news. But the one bit of news that I can give you is I can give you good news, and I know that there's hope coming and his name is Jesus. So with that, that's what Peter's doing. Now, Peter is being very applicable in what he's writing with us and sharing with us today. And so before I get that, how many of you remember 1980? Yeah. You remember a movie that came out in 1980 called 9 to 5, Working 9 to 5? Dolly Parton, Jane Fonda, good grief, and Lily Tomlin. And the whole premise of the movie is that they have this tyrannical boss and they want to get rid of them. And so they kidnap them. 
<laughs> and some other things happen. And at one part of the movie, one of the characters in the movie believes they actually did something to him, and they couldn't remember if they had done it or did not do it. And so it's the, the whole premise of the movie is working for an individual that they really don't like, and in essence, wanting to do something to that individual. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands if you ever had a boss like that. I'm sorry, did my, <clears throat> Yes. So, I think all of us can say that we've, we've had, you know, where if you breathed, you breathed wrong. You, you didn't breathe in, you, you didn't, t I mean, you just, you just, there was nothing that you could do to satisfy that boss. Well, Peter actually, in a way, teaches us today. Now, it's written in a different context, so we have to bring it up to the 21st century. But what he is telling the, the church in the first century back during that time is relevant for today, it is absolutely relevant. And I am so thankful that God's Word, be it 2,000 years old from the New Testament or three or 4,000 years old in the Old Testament, still applies today. That's why it's not only the inspired, inerrant, infallible, but it is also the all-sufficient Word of God. And it is sufficient even for us today. So let's get into the meat and the matter of the subject. Let's stand to honor God's Word because we like to do that in this place. We honor His Word. And uh, let me say this because I was listening to a really good message last night. Um, how many of you in your Bible, you have red letters where it signifies where Jesus wrote? Mine does that too. But I want you to know this, that every letter and every word in your Bible are the words of Jesus. Not just the ones written in red. That, those words signify when Jesus actually lived and walked on the earth. But every word that you have in there in your Bible is from Jesus himself. Can I get an amen? So let's not forget that. But, uh, so let's read to what Peter writes to the church and to us today. It says, servants... Be submissive. Already, some of you are just turning, tuning me out. I didn't write that. That's what the Holy Spirit wrote. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable. If because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongly. For what credit is it if, when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. Lord, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would teach us this morning your word. And after hearing it and learning it, may we live it. Because living out your word is much more than knowing it. People know a lot of things, but they don't act on what they know. But we do know your word. We have it in front of us. We can hold it. We can look at it. We can read it. We can understand it. But Father, help us to live it out because even in our actions, we might be the only Jesus people see when we live out your word. So help us to be Jesus when we leave this place today. Help us to be Jesus wherever we go for work or wherever you take us tomorrow. But Lord, in all that... May you commend us for the work that we do for you because that's ultimately who we work for. For we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. And God's people said, 
Amen. You go ahead and be seated. Two things on an outline this morning. Some of you are like, whoo, he's got two points. You know with me, two points, that could be 40 minutes. Uh, but we are going to move quick here through this morning. And some of you are saying, the pastor just slide in the pulpit. He said quick. Uh, no, we are. So number one is this. You are working for Jesus. You are working for Jesus. Some of you are already saying, but I don't have a job or my career isn't in church. My job isn't in the church. No, your job may not be within the four walls of this building. And remember that this building is not the church. You are the church. But wherever you go, the church is working. Wherever you go, the church is working. It's working in and through you. You are the church working. We are working ultimately for Jesus. Now, it says the word servant there. This is not doulos. This is not slave. Uh, but this is the household servant, uh, the butler, the maid, so to speak. This is the servant that would live with the family that was given a place of prominence and standing in the family. They weren't outside working in the fields or working very in harsh conditions. Uh, they had a room there. They were given an annual salary. This was a, a person they almost considered as part of the family, but weren't. This was the household servant. And so they were treated uh, very well. But even in that, and, and Peter is mentioning this, notice this, he is talking to that type of servant. That means that there are those type of people in the church that Peter is writing to. So there were those at the, in the church in what we would say modern-day Turkey who were these people, and so Peter is writing there. Now, remember that when we were here back at the end of July, we were talking about, you know, we need to be uh, submissive to the government. Well, now we need to be submissive to our employer. So to you that are household servants, be submissive to your masters. Well, we don't have servant and masters, but we do have the context of employee and employer. Do you understand that? Say amen. We have, that is our context. So we have to bring it up and, and that's where we are. It is our job, if you are not the boss, that if you are the worker, the employee, one who is underneath someone else, it is your job to be submissive to that individual. Now that doesn't mean that they can tell you to do whatever they want you to do, but in relation to the job that you have been hired and tasked to do, you are submissive to the individual that is put over you because that is their job. Their job is to have oversight over to what you do. And so our job is to be submissive. Now, how many of you right now, you're still with me, you haven't tuned me out, and you're like, this is not the message I wanted to hear this morning. Raise your hand if you're still with me. Amen. Half of you. Okay, well, that's fine. So I'm picking. No, all of you did. So th that is our job. Our job is to submit. Now, we don't really like that. There is something about us, even as believers, we don't like to submit. Uh, there are things that even when God tells us to do something, we don't like to do what God tells us to do. Amen? Um, we just don't. Uh, but here Peter is saying, listen, you have got to do this because you have got to be the church and you have got to do what God is asking you to do. Now notice how he says this. It says, be, be submissive to your masters with all fear. That word fear there is not to be scared or frightened of them. And if you have an employer that you are scared of, that you're frightened of because you're afraid of the retaliation that you might get, we'll get to that in just a moment. But that word fear here is best understood as extreme respect, reverence to have all for. Um, so that you respect your balls. And it is amazing, uh, maybe you think of the word loyalty. Loyalty maybe that. But when you give loyalty to your employer, to your boss, and you send it up the ladder, it is amazing what the boss or the employer will do down the ladder. 
So when you show loyalty, respect, awe, and I don't want to use the word reverence, but when you show that to your employer and you send it up the ladder, they see that, they notice that. Hopefully that they see that and notice that. Then in turn, they're going to give you loyalty down the ladder. But if you're the employee that just complains and backbites and belly aches and gets upset, then, you know, and, and you're just sitting there talking about the employer over at the water cooler, and he or she did this, or he or she didn't do that, and he or she's a numbskull, and I could do that job better. Well, first off, you don't have that job because God didn't give you that job. They have that job. But you send it up the ladder, whether they deserve it or not, and in turn and in time, God will send it down the ladder. Does that make sense? I'm telling you, this is very just applicational preaching today, 100%. But it's taken directly from God's Word. So we, we give those that have authority over us, we do give them the reverence, the respect, the honor that they're, that, they, that they're due. Now notice to whom we do it, not only to the good and gentle. How many of you have had a, you can think over the course of your career, you had a really good boss? Okay. How many of you, you know that you had a really bad one? I mean, yeah, I mean, you, you know that, and, and, and it's okay to be honest. Uh, but notice this, not only do we give respect to our employers who have been good and gentle with us, but also to those who have been harsh. But pastor, you're going to say this, pastor, you don't know what they did to me. No, I don't. And I've had some employers that were really harsh, and you don't know what they did to me. But I did not have the right to treat them the way they treated me. And as a believer in Jesus, we are commanded not to treat those the way they treat us. We cannot reciprocate that way. We have to reciprocate the way Jesus did. And even if they're just the worst person on the planet, I'm going to say a word. Can I, can I, even if they're just a, a jerk, can I say that in church? You have to show them love and respect and give them the loyalty, not for who they are, but for the position that they hold. And you wonder, why do they have that job for? That, that's in God's timing and in God's will. Uh, but you give them the respect. So it's easy for us to, to show respect to those who are good to us, those who are gentle to us. But man, it's a whole other thing when that person is not the easiest to work for, and you have to show them respect. But Peter says, listen, you be submissive with fear, with respect to those who are good to you and to those who are necessarily not so good to you. Now, verse number 19, for this is commendable. So if you do this to when your boss is good and to when your boss is not good, it is commendable. You will be commended. You will be commended. And notice what it says. If because of conscience toward God, one endures grief. So listen, you do that, you, you show respect to your employer because you know that from the, because of God's Word and what the Holy Spirit is telling you, you do that because God is telling you to do that. That's the only reason you do it. When, when you are out doing this work, wherever you work or wherever you are, there's always, usually in life, there's always somebody above you, you show them the respect that they're due even if they're the most rottenest person on the face of the planet. Well, I don't like that. I'll get a new job. Well, you pray about going to find a new job before you leave there. Because again, your boss who is acting that way or your employer who is acting that way, they may not know Jesus. They may not know Jesus. Let me give you a personal example. So I remember one time 
Uh, how many of you have ever been to Boone, North Carolina? So, wow, all of, so that's where y'all took your vacations. So, so I went to Appalachian State. Some of you are, thought, are thinking right now, I thought it was Appalachian State. Wrong. I am from North Carolina, and I went there. So I'm telling you, Appalachian State, Class 101, it's Appala Appalachian, not Appalachian. And uh, the boss where I worked at, there was a hotel there. And I worked in, working in the hotel, being in college was great because you weren't really busy all the time. And when you weren't busy, I could do homework. I mean, it was a two-for-one deal. It was great. The, the manager of the hotel that we had um, wasn't the best person to work for. And supposedly she was a believer, but her actions showed different. But that was between her and the Lord and not me. So one day, I deserved the attention that I got, but not in the manner in which it was given. So I did need a dressing down. And I was a young and dumb college student. And some of you are thinking, not much has changed. Anyway, so, uh, so oh, come on. Y'all was a funny, and y'all were like, <gasps> so y'all got to lighten up on this Sunday morning. Anyway, so I was young and dumb, and I deserved the dressing down, but not in the manner. She dressed me down in front of the public. And I endured every bit of it. And uh, so about 30 minutes later, because I had respect for her, I went to her in her office. I said, can I have a word with you? Yeah, and I, and I went and shut the door myself. And I said, I respect you as the manager. The owners of the hotel have placed you here. But I said, don't ever do that to me again. I'm a human being. I don't deserve to be treated that way. Yes, there was truth in what you said, and I will do better. And I looked right at her and said, one day if I have employees, I'll never treat them the way you treated me. And as far as I know, I've never done that. I've never done that to an employee or someone where I just sit there and berated them in front of public. I mean, we're not talking to other employees. We're talking people. Ch I mean, I was like, wow, you know. But I learned from that and did better. So I gave her the respect due. I didn't chew her out in front of public because I'd have got fired. Uh, but it is commendable. But you know how it was commendable later on? Her and her husband, she ended up getting pregnant and her baby was stillborn. When I got to work that day, because she knew I was going into ministry, she pulled me back to her office, shut the door. She goes, I know that you're going into ministry. And she told me what had happened. And you know what she said? She goes, will you pray for me and pray with me? Now, if I'd have been a jerk, sorry, I would never had that opportunity. And actually because of that incident that she went through personally and the way I handled what I did earlier, she was able to come and the door was open and I had a chance to minister to her and also to her husband because you never know what might happen. Does that make sense? Say amen. So be commendable for this is commendable if... If, be, uh, if because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongly. Now, there have been times where you know that you're right and you're going to suffer it whether you were, when you know that you were right. Man, that's happened a lot. How many of you, you know that you were right and you still ended up having to endure the cross for that instance? You do it and just go on with it, knowing that you're going to be rewarded uh, one day. Uh, there's one time in ministry where I knew that was the case. I knew I was standing on solid ground. I knew I had the Word of God behind me, but yet people didn't want to hear it, and I had to endure it. And uh, even in that, I remember uh, going through that, uh, that 
I had a grandfather. It was, it was my wife who was going to be with the Lord. It was her granddad. He was a Baptist preacher. And he pulled me aside one day, and I was recounting this. And this was a hard situation that I was going through. And him having been in the pastorate, he looked at me. He said, listen, he goes, you stand strong. And I was like, but Papa Cole, you don't understand what I'm going. He goes, yes, I do. You stand strong. I said, why? He said, because with God, all the returns are not in yet. He said, God will have the last word. He goes, you stand strong, even knowing, even knowing you know that you're right. You know that the stance you're taking is right. You stand strong. Folks, listen, the day's going to come where we're all as a church going to have to stand strong with what we see going on in our culture. And we might have to endure some hardships, but I know this. Jesus is on the other side. Jesus is going to reward us for our stance. We might have to go through a lot before from that point until when we see him. But I would rather make those hard decisions and take those hard stances, knowing that at the end, our heavenly employer will look at us and say, well done. Amen? So you do that. So that is point number one. Point number one is that we really are working for Jesus now. Point number two, you are worthy on behalf of Jesus, that you have worth. That your worth as an employee is not based in what you do, how you do it. But your worth as an employee is based in who really Jesus is. And, and we see it here in verse 20. It says, For what credit is it if, when you are beaten for your faults? How many of you are thankful that your employer can't beat you when you mess up? Amen. Because there wouldn't be, there wouldn't be anything left on my backside. I mean, they would have gotten me good. But... Uh, beaten for your faults, that you take it patiently. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. So our worth is in Jesus. This has to do with our attitude, in, in essence. So making sure that our attitude, our conduct, our morality as we go into work is standing right before God, that we are being the best Christ that we can wherever we go. It says, for what credit is it if when you're beaten for your faults? Listen, how you take criticism None of us like to be told when we're wrong. Raise your hand if you love it when your boss comes and says to you, you did that wrong. Raise your hand right now. If that's you, you love it. You love to be told when you're wrong. Anybody, any takers on that one? Anybody, anybody like to be told when they're wrong? Raise your hand. Go ahead. Usually there's one. Nobody. Right? Okay, good. Great. So we're batting a thousand. Amen. Or uh, we're scoring a full six points with two-point conversion for a touch because it's football season. Praise the Lord and the Lamb. Um, None of us like to be told when we're wrong, but you endure it. You know what I found out about when I'm told things, because thank goodness we're not beaten for it. But even when you're called on the carpet and you've done something wrong, you do know that you can learn from that. You can learn from it. I was pastoring my first church and I got this email and I got hot under the collar. I mean, I got hot quick. And I thought, how dare they? I thought, do they know who they're writing this to? Now, remember, I'm not so much of a who's, of a who's that, but uh, excuse me, of a, oh gosh, I've already forgot it. Uh, a who's that, but more of a who's who. I oh, know, I'm sorry, I'm not a who's who, but I'm more of a who's that. And, and so I called my mentor and I said, you won't believe the audacity of this person. And he said, well, let me cool your jets a little bit for you. What? You need to learn from it. But you don't know. No, I don't know. Pray about it. 
read it, come back the next day and read it again and see if you can't learn from it. And you know what, Dagnabbit, he was right. Man, I had to call him the next day and I had to eat crow. I like crow. <laughs> Original recipe. You know, if you like extra crispy, that's your business, but original recipe for me. Usually in criticism, no matter how bad it is, there's always something that we can learn from it. And you see this here. When you're beaten for your faults, when you're wrong, you know that you did that. You can learn from it to do better. It says, take it patiently. Take it knowing that there's something to be learned from it. But notice this, but when you do good and suffer... There are going to be those times when you do good and you're going to suffer for it. Now, I know that seems ironic. How can you do good and suffer for it, i.e., Jesus Christ? Hello? Never did anything wrong. He always did good. And what happened to him? He suffered for it. Not only did he suffer for it, but he suffered for us for it. That there are going to be those times where you're going to have to take a stance in your job. And whatever that stance is, and you know that you're right, even to the point you will suffer for it, maybe even to the point that you lose your job over it, be willing for that to happen. But I do know this, that I do know God well enough that if you take that stance, you lose your job over it, there's something else waiting for you on the other side. Because it says there at the very last part of it, this is commendable. It is commendable before God. And our God is faithful enough that he, if he asks us to take a stance and he already knows whether or not you're going to keep your job or not, he's already got something better waiting for you on the other side. Do you believe that this morning? Because I do. Um, I've had to take those stances in ministry. And because I have taken those stances, it's made me who I am today. And you know what? It's led me here. It's led me here. And I've been in those situations where I was called in on the carpet and I've learned from it. And you know what? It's gotten me here. It's gotten me here. And in all those situations, I've learned. I'm a lot better than I was. Whew, thank goodness y'all did not get me 15 years ago. It was a hot mess. It's like two raccoons in a burlap sack arguing over a slice of a bacon. Seriously. Um, now it's only one raccoon you know that, but uh, so just know when we go to work, we're not working for the employer, we're not working for ourselves, but we're working for Jesus. And let him be the one who is pleased in what you do. Let him be the one who tells you you've done a good job. No matter what they say, no matter what they do, that when you close your eyes at night or you look at yourself, in the mirror the next day. Let him be able to tell you, you've done well. You've done good. Keep up the good work because this is commendable before God. George Moore tells the true story of Irish peasants in the Depression era that were hired by a wealthy benefactor to build some roads. When they started the job, the men worked well. They sang their Irish songs and they put their total energies into the job. They were so glad to be back at work again. 
But little by little, they discovered that the roads that they were building were not leading to anywhere. They simply ran out into the countryside and stopped. This benefactor, meaning well, had given them a meaningless job in order to feed them and to supply them with a living wage. As the truth began to dawn on the workers, they began to stop their singing, they lost their enthusiasm, and became listless. Commenting on the incident, the author said this, for a man to work well and to sing, there must be an end in sight. The roads to nowhere are difficult to build. Let me give you this. No matter what job you have or what you do, there is an end in sight, and it leads to heaven's throne. You work and work well until you see Jesus, because the one thing that we all want to hear, church, you know it, well done good and faithful servant. You may think that what you are doing, even in the church as a volunteer, that it's meaningless. It is not. It is highly important. And you're doing a good work for the kingdom. With every head bowed and no one looking around this morning, we're coming to our time of communion. I'm going to ask our deacons and Pastor Brandon to come and sit on the front pew here. And as we come to the time of communion this morning, we need to ready our hearts and our minds and our spirits and our bodies to receive what he would want us to receive. Remember that we do this in remembrance of what he has already done for us. We do this to remember the cost of our salvation. So take the next moment or two and reflect. And gentlemen, you can be seated. And make sure that you have prepared your hearts in the right way to receive what he would have us to receive this morning. Father, we come before you at this time of our service to remember what you have done for us. That of all that you own, all that you've ever created, 
the one thing that you prized above everything was your only begotten son. And that you gave him freely and willingly for us. And that he came and that he willingly and freely died for us. So we just want to make sure that we're in right standing with you. Confessing sin. Confessing those things that we call pet sins that we continue to do that we think that do not harm or hurt anyone. But they're really hurting our relationship with you. So, Father, we ask that you would just take those things from us, that we not just ask for forgiveness, but that we would repent, that we turn and leave those things aside forever. So that as we remember what you have done for us through your son, Jesus, that we're in good standing and that you'll be pleased with what we do. Thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for what Jesus did for us. For we ask and pray in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said,